Good to see everybody today. All right. Well, listen, uh, we're excited about today. I'm excited uh, to introduce our, our uh, speaker today. My wife is going to bring the word today. As we are continuing with our series called Rooted, and she's going to get into that and what she's going to share today. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to all be drawn and invited to the table at the end for communion. So will you please give a warm welcome, I know, to my beautiful wife, Haley. Ooh, okay. Good morning, everybody. This is my once-a-year thing. It's the only time the Lord has told me I had to do it, so... Until he tells me I have to do it more than that, it'll be a a once-a-year thing. Or a a zero-a-year thing, which is also just fine. Um, I feel like this is going to be really practical today. Um, Jeremy asked me to share on Rooted in Community. It's big at the top of my list. So one of my friends here in my church community saw the title, and she was like, ew. Right? Okay, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe just me and her. Um, so rooted in community, when he asked me to share this, I'll try not to look at my notes too much, but when he asked me to share this, told me the topic, I honestly thought, God, please don't let me be tested in this in the next couple weeks until I share. Of course I was, yeah. Um, but I knew I was supposed to do it, um, and I knew it was going to be a difficult topic. Um, This series, Rooted, has covered Rooted in Vision, Rooted in the Word, and Rooted in Worship, and now Rooted in Community. Um, Just the one about Rooted in Community just seems like it really involves people a whole lot more. And I I heard something a really long time ago, uh, sheep bite. We're all sheep (laughs) and sheep bite. And, um, And then we're all flawed, so that makes for a fun start. But it really will get better, I promise. But rooted in community just seems to involve a lot of people, and it can be very challenging. Don't get me wrong. Community is most definitely one of the richest gifts that I've ever been given. And I could tell lots of stories on that. I could stand up here and run out of time telling stories. And I really can't make eye contact with all of you because if I do, I will be a blubbering idiot up here um, because it's just one of the most beautiful things people that God puts in your life. I really can't make eye contact with you. Let me take a drink. Okay. I just splashed in my face. I have a drinking problem. There we go. Okay. A friend of mine shared a teaching with me by John Mark Comer on community, and I learned a lot from it. Um, he's uh, he's kind of nerdy, and he likes a lot of statistics, and he likes to quote a lot of smart people, and um, so I enjoy listening to him, but it really made me rethink So I'm going to, like, share a few things that I learned from listening to him talk about it, what community is and what community is not. Um, Let's see. I learned that Jesus' time on the earth, well, I kind of knew that already. We learned that Jesus' time on the earth, that he believed in community. And in Matthew 4, he started calling his disciples. He went around and he called his disciples to come and follow him. And they immediately left a lot of things and followed him and joined a community of believers. To follow Jesus is to live in community. 
Let's say that together. To follow Jesus is to live in community. Webster defines community as people with a common interest living in a particular area. And I guess that's the part that seemed like a real heavy revy to me, as it probably shouldn't have been. But it's real simple, but it's people with a common interest living in a particular area. And for us, our common interest as church community is Christ and the, and the Great Commission. Uh, the Greek word for community is kononia, Christian fellowship or communion with God, more commonly with fellow Christians. Simply people that you live by and follow Jesus with. So, I have a whole lot of wonderful people in my life. One of them has shown up today um, and surprised me that I really can't make eye contact with her. But um, people that aren't necessarily living close by or um, in my day-to-day, but at one time was. One time we were close by, near vicinity. And um, I'm so grateful for those people, those sisters, literal sisters in my life. Um, that I can call on, like I did yesterday, to ask them to pray for me today. And I heard back and got uh, a lot of prayers and, and um, just added girls from, from my sisters out there across the country. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. And they will always be my sisters and my friends. But we're talking today also about the people that we are with on the day-to-day um, and our community is also, like for me, my community is, I have a school community. We have a common mission. It's a Christian school. So I've got a community there that overlaps somewhat with this church community as well. And some of you may have more than just this church community. You have other people that you're in common mission with, fellow Christians that you see on the day-to-day that um, that can be challenging. And... I want to kind of speak to that today and help us to understand some things. At least I learned something. Maybe all all y'all already knew this. But some common misconceptions about community is that it's not the same thing as connectivity. Now, I will tell you today, I looked for the first time. I didn't really pay attention to this, but I have over a 1,000 friends on Facebook. Yeah, I know y'all are really impressed by that. And not nearly that many on Instagram, but... uh, so you would think that that was our com- community and we're really connected. But actually, social media and the Internet is not community. And studies have shown it actually leads to loneliness when we spend too much time in that realm. I love the way it helps me to connect with people and keep up with people, but that is not community. Chemistry is also not community. We can have community with people that we have very little chemistry with, and we can have chemistry with people we have very little community with. I have a cousin. Her name is Sarah. We are about three weeks apart. She's not my blood relative, but we've been cousins by marriage since we were five years old. And um, we don't have to see each other. every day. We see each other rarely. Growing up, we saw each other probably once a year. In the last few years, we've made an effort to make sure to be together and spend some time together and connect. We have a a little text message thing called Cousins Crew. And um, and she and my cousin Jonathan are on it, who also, he's a believer, and him and his wife are very encouraging to me. Um, but they don't see me, they, they don't always see me at my best and my worst, like the people I'm with every day. I'm not going to make eye contact with those people either. 
but I sure do appreciate them and love them. Um, and so Sarah and I have this chemistry that when we do get together, it's like all the same private jokes are there. We laugh at all the same relatives, and we just pick right up where we left off. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful, but I'm, you're not always going to have that kind of chemistry with the people that are in your community. A Harvard study way back in the 1950s showed that all aspects of community, not just church attendance, but anything that requires commitment is in decline. Unfortunately, that's only gotten worse and not better. Um, And to have real community requires commitment. So another study in the 80s said that 35% of Americans are lonely, and those numbers have increased dramatically since the 80s. Who loves the 80s? I mean, that's totally off the subject, but I sure do miss the 80s. It also shows that loneliness is harder on your health than smoking and obesity. Uh, John Mark Comer says that individualism is one of the biggest enemies of community and leads to loneliness. Individualism, the habit or principle of being independent and self-reliant, a social theory favoring freedom of action for individuals over collective control. He also proposed that tribalism is the dark cousin of community. And I think some of you may have experienced a difference in that. What, do, what does he mean by that? Tribalism is about a mutual enemy or a mutual hate, a battle for resources. I interpret that as when we unite on, a, on our disdain or fear of another human and their ideas and even shortcomings. We have one common enemy. It's never a good... <laughs> It's never a good group to be a part of with one common enemy. I know you've probably seen people who, like, fuss all the time, but then they get mad at one person, and then suddenly they're besties again because they got, oh, is it time to wrap up? <laughs> I, I'm not going to dance. Sorry. <laughs> and, then the, and then the microphone goes down. Okay. <laughs> I get it. Okay. We'll forgive you all for that. Okay. I'm having a hard enough time as it is. Community is about mutual love, generosity, and honor of our differences. Not differences that dishonor God, just simply differences of opinions and ideas, likes and dislikes. If you know me, and I feel known by some of you, you know how I feel about cats. But, I might talk about cats a couple times in this message, but, but I have to get over that. In community, you have to love me even though I don't love your cat, okay? And I'll love you even though you have cats. So, Jesus sets the lonely in family. Individualism sets the lonely in tribes. Now, a few years ago, I lose track of time, but a few years ago, I think it was, people were always going around saying, well, that's not my tribe. They're not my tribe. That's not my tribe. Basically saying, well, I don't see things the way they see things. I don't like the same thing. It, it, it never hit right with me. And now I know, now I kind of know why it never hit. Y'all remember that? People were saying that all the time. Um, it sounded kind of judgmental a little bit and um, a little exclusive. And community is not exclusive. It does not exclude. Um, okay, enough nerdy stuff and definitions. Let's talk about Christ's plan for community. Um, we have to start with communication. Everybody say Communication. Face-to-face conversation is the most human thing to do. It also makes it a lot harder 
to misinterpret someone's meaning and intentions. Now, talking on the phone is probably the second best. If you know me at all, you know I'd rather text you than talk on the phone with you. I'm learning from this. I'm not saying I have arrived. But face-to-face communication is the best form. Um, We have to be in the presence of our community, and there are various reasons why we can't sometimes. But when we can, we must. Like church, serving, groups that meet together, spontaneous fellowships that we come together with, inviting people over for holidays or things like that. Meals together. A lot of the people, when I was researching this, a lot of theologians and people that were teaching on community were saying meals together, sitting down together is the original intention of community. And I can see why, because I love to eat and I love to talk. And I'm pretending today that we're all sitting at a big table having a meal together. And that's the only way I'm getting through this right now. Um, Yeah, got the table right there. We'll get to that, James. (laughs) Jesus practiced two main things, silence and solitude, but he equally practiced community. Those are two hard things. Why? Why are they so hard? Both of these are where our real self is laid out. When we get in a place where we're silent and, and just us and God, we lay ourselves bare before him. And we have time to really think and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And then in community... We also lay ourselves bare. We're real. We're around people all the time. Sometimes we're trying to accomplish tasks together. Um, This is spontaneous. I didn't plan this, Jeremy. But when Jeremy first got a youth pastor position, I don't know, GW, if you remember his first office, it was a closet, and he and I decided to put border up in it. Yeah, in the church building. There's no telling what was said or heard. I hope nobody was there. If they did, if there was anybody in the building, they didn't come near us as we um, did not do a very good job of communicating while putting up that lighthouse border in that closet of an office. Both of these are where our real self is laid out in silence and solitude and in community. Pseudo community, fake community. We all hate fake. Fake is easier sometimes. We all hate fake. Pseudo community holds back a core part of who we are. We are our best and our worst with the people we love the most. For example, the people we live with, our spouses and our children. I think Natalie Grant had a song that said, talked about our kids have a seat on the front row of everything we don't know. And that our community has a seat on the front row of everything we don't know, you know, and we have to give grace to one another and love each other through those things. I know every time Miss Brandy is teaching the kids about fruits of the spirit or treating each other right or serving each other, she always starts with saying, and that starts at home with your brothers and sisters. And I'm like, thank you for saying that because some days I think I need a referee shirt and a whistle at my house with my children. (laughs) Right. In real community, We have to give up things, our individualism, doing whatever we want when we want all the time. Well, I don't really like going outside. I really like inside things. Well, I don't really like inside things. I'd rather sit outside. You ever been there at a restaurant? You're like, who wants to sit outside? Who wants to sit inside? Nobody can make a decision. (laughs) You got to kind of die to some of those things. I don't really sit. I don't want to sit on your back porch with all your cats, but it's beautiful view, but you got lots of cats back here. 
If you listen to this, my friend, you know I'm talking about you today. And I do it anyway because I love you, not your cats. (laughs) Our idealism or high expectations, waiting around for the perfect fit, misguided expectations can, can, can destroy any relationship and community. If we have our expectations are just set a little too high and we don't, we don't want to give people grace to not be perfect and okay. Um, we used to do this marriage um, premarital counseling. I think some of y'all have done it too with Les and Leslie Parrott. And one of the things they're saying is uh, expectations. Like find out in that your house growing up who took the trash out. You know, did you keep the ketchup in the refrigerator or did you keep it on the table? Because, the, you know, you can have a really ugly argument about that early on in marriage. Because I could stand around hurt because he never takes out the trash. When in his house, his mom took out the trash, so he didn't think anything about taking out the trash. You know what I mean? That seems real simple. But little things like that, it's little foxes that spoil the vine when we have unrealistic expectations. If you expect um, the people in your community to always be Christ-like, then you're going to be let down. Um, And then we have to fight intimidation. And fight fear of rejection. Um, let me let me talk about that real quick because uh, Emily P. Freeman, she had a little podcast one time, and I talked to my if table about that, which we'll talk about that too. But we had a little discussion about that one time because it really uh, ministered to me because she talked about how um, how when we when relationships break up, like a husband and a wife, there's obvious room for that person to grieve it. Like, you're given all this grace to grieve that divorce. But sometimes when our friendships fail or phase out, like we're phased out, I know I'm not going to have anybody raise their hands, but if you've ever been phased out or left out, when that happens, we don't necessarily always allow ourselves to grieve that. And we should. Like, we should. Because that, that matters. Community, these kind of things really matter. Um, <clears throat> let me stop and say that this message is not an attack on introverts. Every time people start talking about community, introverts sit there and like, oh, this is for me. Just leave me alone. But believe it or not, I would classify myself as an introvert. If we raised our hands, most of us in this room would probably say we were introverts. Being an introvert does not mean that you are not relational. You may just not be social. That doesn't mean you're not relational. So social gatherings are not necessarily the com- most comfortable place to be, but you desire relationship just like everybody else. Extroverts may be real comfortable in a crowd, but they still can be some of the loneliest people that you ever would come across. Regardless of being an introvert or an extrovert, there are many reasons Christians might not feel like going to church or opening themselves up to community. If we can discern the reason behind why it's difficult, then I believe we can start working on moving towards community instead of avoiding it. Here's a list of reasons I found. I didn't make it up. But let's just, while I read through them, let's just take a little self-assessment. And because we believe as a church being rooted in community is important, let's, let's see what we can do today to pull ourselves into community if we feel like we're not um, really rooted in it. For number one is physical reasons. People, people don't feel well. People are dealing with sickness. 
Sometimes the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41. Spiritual reasons. Psalms 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Maybe you're in a bad place. Maybe you're overwhelmed by shame. And maybe you feel like if you did go to church, you'd just break down. And nobody wants to see all that. Number three, relational reasons. This could be caused by a lot of circumstances, marital problems, problems with your kids. You're single or widowed and you feel out of place around couples and families. Maybe at a crossroads in relationship or broken friendship. Maybe you disagree with the leader and, and there's some lasting tension. And maybe you've been judged or rebuked by someone and seeing them triggers anger and shame. Regardless, the Bible still says how good and pleasant it is to dwell with brothers in unity in Psalms 133.1, but you haven't experienced that. Logical, re- I mean, logistical reasons. Number four, maybe you have issues mainly with logistics, like you live far away, or you work nights, or your work schedule changes. We have one um, member in our church community here, man, God bless her. She'll work all night long and then come on Sunday morning and get a couple cups of coffee and come in here ready to go. But she can't do it all the time, and it's understandable. Some, um, some of them, number five, is preferential reasons. Some frustrations are about preference. You don't like the music, preaching style, the way people dress, or the leadership style. You wish the sermon were shorter and the people friendlier and the coffee better. Your preference might reflect biblical principles, or might just be nitpicky. Number six, cultural reasons. Whether it's a language barrier or other elements that keep you from feeling like an outs- keep you feeling like an outsider, cultural differences can make it difficult to engage in church. Number seven, recreational reasons. Some people struggle with church for recreational reasons. The weekends are prime time for hobbies, adventures, tournaments, travel with kids, sports programs. That's just when those things take place. Number eight. Missional reasons. Sometimes Christians have have a hard time with church because they don't understand the mission of the church or they don't connect with it. Um, This is a side note I put in there, and I I went back and forth on it. But one thing I've learned, I'm going to be a a half a decade, I mean a decade, century. A half a century old. I'm going to be five years old. Some days I feel like I'm five years old. (laughs) Woo! I'm going to be half a century old in a few months. And um, one of the things I have learned, I'm going to read it. Almost a half of a, um, I wrote a decade on my notes even, <clears throat> that if we substitute serving or outreach to the less fortunate for authentic community, we can stunt our spiritual growth and discipleship. Jesus had a balance of outreach and quality time with his community. I'm just going to leave that right there. Number nine, doctrinal differences. <clears throat> Sometimes Christians can't find a church that aligns with their beliefs. The church you attend might be your default church, but not your desired church. So you feel doctrinally homeless. Your differences might be hindering you from connecting or serving, and you might find yourself on the margin or on the verge of leaving. Number 10, personal reasons. Finally, some of you have personal problems with the church. Maybe you've been abused by spiritual authorities, witnessed a pastoral scandal, or endured a church split. In some situations, you might bear some responsibility, but even when you're completely innocent, there is still pain. Whether your wounds are caused by others or self-inflicted, personal history can make it hard to love a church, trust a church, 
attend a church and definitely be part of community. There are all very legitimate reasons for not being in real community and fellowship, but the enemy will use any and all of them to keep us isolated. I just offer these to maybe help us evaluate why we are struggling to commit and then ask the Lord to help us work through those things and those issues so that we're not robbed anymore of the rich blessing that community can be. In James 1.5, I like this scripture because even in situations like this where I don't even understand why I'm struggling, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Let's talk about conflict. Everybody say conflict. <laughs> conflict is an enemy of communi- community. I'm not talking about, let me just say this real quick. I'm not talking about the kind of conflict that comes from like toxic people or dangerous environments, okay? They just put boundaries up. You don't. You just stay away from it. I'm talking about the far more common kind of disunity fueled by an endless variety of conflicts that break apart relationships and even whole churches because earnest, sincere Christians fail to humbly, gently, patiently bear with one another in love and cease being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We tell ourselves that Christian community is supposed to be constant love and trust because we are filled with the Spirit and agree on most things theologically. How many of you have have asked yourself, like recently even, or said to yourself, it should not be this hard? It just should not be this hard. Today, I want to share with you what I learned. The Bible, I'm sorry if this is just revelation for me and not for anybody else, but the Bible does not support that thought process as much as we wished it did. The Bible does not back up the fact that community should be easy. It's not. Unity has always been hard. Community has always been hard. And don't get me wrong. God is all for unity between his children. In Psalms 133.1, he said how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And in Philippians 2.2, so I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity, with one heart, one passion, and united in love. If he asks it of us, his Holy Spirit's going to help us do it. And I'm grateful for that. But nowhere in the Bible does God promise that the pursuit of unity, even among real spirit-filled Christians, won't be as hard as it often is. Any more than it promises that battling our sin won't be as hard as it is, or that suffering won't be as devastating as it is, Or that the whole endeavor of Christian love, which includes community, won't be as costly and humanly impossible as it is. Everybody say amen. This is so, I'm sorry if this is a downer. It's supposed to be encouraging. We'll get there. We see it in Paul's letters to the early church where he has to discipline them and rebuke them. That's not what he wanted to do, I'm sure. He probably wanted to just hang out with them and eat and have fun and travel around talking about Jesus. But in Corinthians 1, 10, 11, he reproves the Corinthians for their quarreling and division. In Galatians 5, 20, he warns the Galatians against the dangers of rivalries, dissension, and division. Let me just pause real quick. Don't, sometimes I think I read, I read these letters and think sometimes, those, that early church, they were so dumb, bless their hearts. Good thing they had Paul. 
and I and need to realize that he this is in the Bible because we need to read this. Like in Philippians four two, he tells the church of Philippi to agree in the Lord and pleads with others to intervene. In Colossians three thirteen, he instructs the Colossians forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And Ephesians four twenty nine through thirty one, he exhorts the Ephesians not to indulge in corrupting talk, so that as not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And to put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, along with all malice. Remember, Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle flesh and blood. We don't wrestle flesh and blood. Principalities and powers, rulers of darkness in high places, but not people. People are not our enemies. The enemy hates community. And obviously, he's going to come after it as much as he can. John thirteen thirty five. <clears throat> By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, when I say that scripture, what do you see in your mind? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you see like a bunch of people with little flower headbands on, running around singing Kumbaya and, you know, giving to each other and loving on each other and exhorting each other. Um, I've never seen that even in the scriptures, even in the chapter of Acts, when we read about how the early church was operating, and it sounds so sweet and wonderful, and it happened, but it didn't stay that easy all the time. It just started out like that. In Acts, we read about Paul and Barnabas. And I honestly love this story But it talks about how Barnabas um, was a bridge for Paul to the church. Obviously, the church was uh, skeptical of Paul. But Barnabas was an advocate for him and helped bridge that gap to the church. Barnabas was an encourager. Barnabas traveled with Paul, building missionary teams and spreading the church. But Paul and Barnabas had an out. Mark was with them. Mark left them at some point. Mark came back wanting to join them again, and Paul was like, no. No, he, he deserted us, basically. And Barnabas is like, no, he's coming with us. No, no. And they had an out. They had a falling out to the point that they parted ways. Paul went with Silas. Barnabas took Mark. Um, they had a sharp disagreement. <clears throat> Even the most faithful of all of us are prone to interpersonal conflicts and mistakes because we're all fallen humans. But even with their parting, you can have partings and you can handle them well if we allow the Lord to help us. And it, you're only, we're going to go back to that, but you're, we're only responsible for us. We'll get to that. But even the most faithful of us are prone to, I said that already, sorry. Even with their parting, God still used them all to advance the church. In fact, the missionary teams doubled. God can even use our disagreements to further his work. All of these men moved forward peaceably in the work of the Lord Even though they had disagreements, they agreed in matters of doctrine, they were united in the ways that mattered, and even later on, their rift was healed. What does community do for us? And let me remind you today as I finish up, I'm not just talking about this church community. Um, I know like some of you have gone to college and you're finding communities there and hopefully finding like other believers or you're getting ready to go on a trip and maybe find another community there. What does community do for us? Community refines us. 
Our pursuit of community is designed to give us many opportunities to die to our own sin and bear with one another's sins. Um, when I think about dying to my, every time I hear about dying to yourself or dying to sin, I think about uh, our pastor, Pastor Valerie. Um, when you, anybody would tell her, hey, we're getting married, she'd be like, oh, are you ready to die? <laughs> Very matter-of-fact lady. But, yeah, wouldn't she? Are you ready to die? And I'm like, oh, I guess so. And she was right. Um, but community, <laughs> that was the first year. Everything's bliss now. <clears throat> Everything. <laughs> Let me get back to my message. Community refines us and community exalts Christ. For this reason, we can never give up on community. We can never give up on community. We, we have to make community happen. We are going to fail at community, and we're going to fail at our community. We're going to fail our community. I will fail you. And that can be heartbreaking. But we also fail at continuing to abide in Jesus, John fifteen four. We fail at striving for holiness, Hebrews twelve fourteen. I'm just really encouraging you all today. We fail at praying without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. We fail at loving our enemies, Luke 6, 27. We fail at blessing those who persecute us, Romans 12, 14. And we fail at counting it all joy when we experience various trials, James 1, 2. We failed all these things. But we are our best and our worst in community. In community, we know each other, and we are known, like the cat thing. Thinking about my community and what amazing people I get to serve with, play with, raise my children with, do this. I, hate it. I really don't like when people say do life. We do life together. It's not my favorite. I don't know why. It just bugs me. It's one of those Christianese things. But you know what? I still love you if you say it. But... The people I get to do life with, you know, I'm so grateful when I think about the quality of people that God has put in my life in this room right here and and some that aren't in this room here today and the people that I get to work with at Family Christian School and how selfless all of you are until the days when we're selfish because that happens too, right? You know, that's, that's part of it. That's the community. This is where we grow. We mess up. We repent. People call us out. We get a righteous rebuke. Um, some of the greatest memories that I won't forget because it was embarrassing and humbling but also changed me was when somebody rebuked me, when they called me in with love, told me I was out of line, but they loved me anyway. Um, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, my sister, one of my sisters that I text yesterday, uh, Lenise, she called me out of blue one day and she was like, yeah, how you doing? And I was like, what's she going to say? She's very prophetic. She's like, yeah, you know, people who are under us that, you know, we're, they're leaders and we're developing them. You know, we gotta, we gotta rebuke them sometimes, Haley. We gotta tell them the truth sometimes. I was like, uh, yeah, well, I can't talk right now. I'm sorry. I'm not up. I, I don't like it. I don't like conflict, but I'm thankful for people who love me enough to rebuke me. And let's just 
put that out there, something I heard somebody say not long ago, church discipline is not the same thing as church hurt. A righteous rebuke is not the same thing as somebody toxic coming at you with the wrong spirit. But when you come speaking the truth in love, it can help. And then also in community, we confess our sins one to another. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, But if we freely admit our sins, when his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive us of our sins because of Christ, and he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 12, 18 says, Do your best to love everyone. To live as everybody's friend. The NIV says, if it is possible, and this is the key, as much as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. We can't live in shame when we're not living at peace with everyone. But as much as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. We must cultivate these two components if we are going to be a part of an authentic community. Vulnerability and accountability. Yuck right? Some of you probably are saying, well, I had you, I was with you until now, but now I'm out. Vulnerability. Um, we started something beautiful. It was the, it was, it was spurred by the IF conference that some of us ladies did, and, um, it's called the IF table, and we kind of talked about it at our last IF conference and said if anybody's interested in it, and it didn't really take off too quick, but I want to tell you about it real quick. It's, it's six women, two hours, five questions. We sit around. We, ask, we talk about these questions. We get vulnerable with each other, and we learn from each other, and we pray for each other. And if anybody's interested in being a part of something like that, and you missed the opportunity when we, when we introduced it at the IF table, uh, let me know. Or you can see Kaylee as well, if you want to know more information about the IF table. Also, we did a thing last year that we're going to continue again this year in our little interim between our Wednesday nights called The Well. And at The Well, some of you amazing women got up and shared your very vulnerable testimonies with all of us. And it was beautiful and life-changing, and God was in it. And so um, when you see that come across the table again, don't miss out on that. And the men do stuff too, but the women's stuff is better. So, and in accountability, you have to welcome this. You have no, you, people, you know, they might come to you and check on you, but you have to, if you need accountability, we all do. You need to make yourself available for accountability, loved, drenched accountability, where we speak the truth in love. Community is our training ground for love. First Peter three eight says, "Now this is the goal." To live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness towards other believers. Let humility describe who we are as you dearly love one another. Our closest relationships are our hardest relationships. But they're worth it. Even if we have to grieve some of the relationships that didn't last. We do, there's a grieving process, and then, then there's a new day and a new opportunity to love and to build relationship and to build community. So as we come to the communion table today, 
let's remember communion started at a community table. Communion calls the church to a different kind of community. The kind of community that cannot be dissolved by petty conflict or disagreement. We need to recognize that we are at the table of a kingdom and we are called there to recognize the presence of the king. Stewards of his presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. In it, it's his presence that breaks every yoke of bondage. Not so much in the elements themselves or even in our own spiritual reflection, but in the body he, call, he has called us together. A body of sinners like us. A body of failures. This is what the scripture means when it calls us to fellowship. The starting point for unity is the church and our sanctification as a body together in the gospel and a common table. In order to get community right, we must get communion right. It's intimate and it's supernatural. It's not by our might or our power or by our strength, but by the Spirit of God. We are brothers and sisters, and we need each other. If you need prayer, collect your elements up here today and find a fellow believer in the community to pray with you. If you need to repent, take your elements to the altar and meet the Savior there. Let's come into his presence together. Let's approach his throne of grace together. Let's remember the sacrifice he made on the cross for us together. And let's start today practicing vulnerability and accountability. And let's have, let's all leave here changed today together. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to come to the communion table. Lord, let it be supernatural for us today, God. Let us experience your presence today, God. Your sweet presence. We are thankful for it, God. And we thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves and teaching us to love one another. You're so good and faithful. Help us, Lord. Amen.